and welcome to Series 2 of the Learning and Development Challenges podcast. Adam here as your guide. In this series, we're looking at how to engage frontline or deskless workers with learning. And today we're talking with Nishant Raj, co-founder of Virtual Learning Factory and CEO of Value Chain Technology. Nishant has over a decade of experience in the manufacturing industry and is an entrepreneur who leverages data and technology to create value for customers and stakeholders. He's co-founded the Virtual Learning Factory. This innovative venture is dedicated to assisting small and medium-sized enterprises in upskilling their workforce through the use of digital twins for both training and operational purposes. Driven by a vision to empower SMEs, Nishan aims to propel them to new heights with the aid of enabling technologies. And in his spare time, he also hosts his own podcast, How Did They Get There? Nishan, it is a real pleasure to have you join us today. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Just to mention, this isn't our first podcast recording. We recorded another episode for our other podcast, The Power Skills Project, last year. So good to have you back. Friend of the pod, we should call you now. Cool. So uh, I'm really excited about this episode because some of the technology, software and things that you're working on is really cool. And I definitely wanted to kind of share that. And I think it kind of aligns perfectly with what we're talking about in this series, which is, you know, how do we develop frontline workers? So can you just start by giving us a bit of context, a bit of background, tell us a bit about Virtual Learning Factory and what you guys are working on over there? Yeah, so Virtual Learning Factory came in from a personal pain points for people in manufacturing industry because skills on the shop floor are becoming harder and harder to come by, right? So anything from the core skills of welding, operating press machines, CNC, things which used to be, you still find a lot of people in, is not where the apprentices and the people are going in today. Now, with the rise of VR and game technologies, the technology is becoming more accessible. So everything that's been done in games, right? So the level of interactivity, the level of how real world elements are and kids are actually playing these days. They're already collaborating. They're already figuring out stuff to do. And in a more scalable platform, we wanted to bring that into the manufacturing arena. And we had the question of why isn't there something like a manufacturing simulator? Right. So if you are a surgeon, if you are in military, you would have these virtual simulators where you can go in and practice because you don't have a surgery every day. You don't have a war happening every day, but you keep your skills on top. Right. And same things applies into manufacturing. The issue we have is the people, you know, the companies who are struggling with this do not have uh, the awareness capacity and resources to be able to go and build this on their own. So we wanted to bring that out by building industry-relevant training elements at fraction of the price and be able to make it accessible so it's simple to use as we use our emails or any other software platforms. Very cool. And the output, so what you're actually creating is a almost like a high-end video game standard virtual environment or copy, if you like, of the physical environment, the physical manufacturing environment. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So the digital twins, it's not just any random uh, factory. So we are able to actually convert existing factories and their machinery into uh, virtual replicas, connect the data sources in there as well, and be able to use the physical SOPs that they use today for training purposes as gamified training element. And that all of that happens in a, a timeline of less than six weeks. And what that really means is 
we are able to utilize the resources that are there, but convert that into something that will make them give competency profiles for people rather than just be a training exercise where people are trained or not trained. And I think that's a big challenge in the industry today because the reality is we might get 20 people trained on shop floor to use a specific machine or repair a machine, but there's only two people ever who ever know how to do it. And I think you know that element we are trying to create a key understanding about, but also the route to training, the timeline to training reduces massively. You can cross-train people across different skills and they can do that in a much safer environment. So upskilling your workforce becomes simple and accessible. And it's built on you know millions of dollars of technology what gaming industry is built today. So the technology elements is you know is what's enabling us to be able to do that right now. Without which, you know, obviously it becomes a much harder job. Yeah, gotcha. That makes sense. And can I just ask, like, how do you actually map out somebody's manufacturing environment? I'm sure there's people interested in that because i get the software bit you know how you create a game whatever but how do you do that first bit yeah so we have a few different techniques we can do as simple as taking a normal 360 camera in place uh, and using that 360 camera we're able to actually capture a whole you know view of that place and then utilize our model designers to be able to convert that and we've done that for a brand new factory in less than a week previously we also have more high-end technologies where we have a robot scanner, which is basically in the form of a robotic dog, uh, which can actually walk in your factory, scan it, uh, do the 3D LiDAR scanning, and uh, export the assets, which we are able to fine-tune and utilize as well. So there's a whole range uh, of different options, and you don't necessarily need the most expensive one. You can actually go in with something as simple as a $800 360 camera, which you're able to use and convert that to your factory. Brilliant. That's amazing. So yeah, there's a few different ways to do it. And actually, like you say, the cost of technology coming down for things like 360 cameras, which a few years ago would have been enormously expensive, makes this whole thing a bit more accessible to people. So how do you help train shop floor workers and how are your clients using you? Give us a few actual examples. Yeah. So, you know, we have clients who are utilizing our SaaS platform to be able to train their workforce and they had a genuine issue where the training times could be greater than six months if the machine gets broken it will cost them 20 grand a week in downtime so it's you know quite high stakes in that and this is a simple sme right so it's not even that it's doing very complex elements it's doing some key components for a bigger oem but that's the same what we see so we as a part of our collaboration we built out scanned their factory element took their physical sop converted that into a gamified trading approach so you have the guided modes where you can actually walk through the system tells you you know these are the steps this is what machine you're using and you're basically walking through in the guided mode as somebody was teaching you then you have the unguided mode where you have the same exact things but you've been told go and achieve this right so go and fix this go and repair this and you have to go and do that on your own the system is timing you in the back it's it's, it's monitoring what are the steps that you do what order you do it in, and at the end of it it gives you your scorecard to see, you know, how you perform. And that's something that, you know, uh, again, uh, those analytics get captured for everybody in the shop floor, you know, uh, where and everybody can go and try and do try this multiple times. So the platform itself and what we've, the key element, it's not just that, you know, everything has to be in VR because not everybody is uh, accustomed to that. What we've seen the uptake on is when we've deployed these type of scenarios in line with our customer, we've deployed that through our VLF platform, and which means it can run on VR, it can run on the browser, or it can run on a PC. So there's flexibility in that. 
and they are generally preferring it to do it uh, through the browser mode because they don't need expensive setups to be able to utilize that. On the other side, there are certain elements of the training which is better served in the immersive mode because of the ergonomics linked into that. But they're able, they're starting to open up to that aspect uh, as well. But that's not just, we're not restricted that you have to go into VR mode or you don't get anything. Uh, and that's making a difference because we've had like shop flow workers of about 50, 60 people being trained every quarter and tried out on the system and it, it becomes a practice that they're starting to do because things don't go wrong in manufacturing that often if it, if it is then you are really struggling because you can't get your products out so you still but you still need your workforce to be trained in terms of both operating the machine but also repairing the machine you know looking at what different scenarios might happen as well so it's really supporting the smes in terms of leveling up their workforces and making sure that Again, they can do what they do consistently. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, cool. And yeah, I love that cost-saving angle as well. Because I don't even think about that, do you? If something can't be fixed quickly when you're manufacturing at scale, then the cost of that is enormous because you're still paying your people and you still have orders and stuff that you need to meet. But yeah, if you're losing days, then that's that's a real kind of pain point. So that's super interesting as, as a solution for that as well. So let's talk a bit about the trade-off or the balance between technology and having this kind of training in a virtual environment versus having someone in person at a machine learning to use it. There's there's pros and cons to both. What have you experienced so far with those? I think it's, you know, you're right. It's a balance between both those approaches. And we are starting to see that balance coming in with the people that we work because we are working with our customers in that relation to actually say that it's difficult to trust. Okay, we have only done this in the virtual world, right? Uh, can you actually operate the machine? But what we've seen, and this is not just in the UK globally from different partners and client bases, is there are people being trained on the VR or on the gamified on these virtual platforms and then tested on the real systems before they get certified to actually operate or do that job. And I think that's a right level of balance. So you can do your practice uh, elements on there, but for anybody to actually accept that, you know, people can do the job, they still have to do a showcase. But remember what this means is you're not hogging a machine for training itself. You won't need to occupy that machine and keep it away from producing parts. It's reduced massively. What you are also benefiting is people are able to again do this and learn this much quicker because there's a lot of more assistance coming in and you need less resources, right? Because remember, if you were only relying on doing physical training, you always have to have a physical trainer in place as well. So that's another headcount and resource and expertise that you need to have. Whereas you already working in this virtual environment with a guided setup and which is telling you, you know, what it is, what you're supposed to do, you know, what the tips and tricks uh, on these are would be. So it becomes a nice environment to be able to get through all the errors, get a feel for everything, and then be able to, you know, go out and prove out before you start ap applying that. We'll always see a blend of this happening today in reality. And we've seen this as a part of in India, for example, a part of the national skills program where they're training people on running mining machines, for example, they run, they're getting them trained on the, uh, the virtual setup and then getting, you know, do the test and get certifications from there. So it's a global phenomenon. It's not even just that it's UK based anymore. Very cool. Yeah. Scalability is one word I wrote down there when you're talking about that, because I think, yeah, you're hundred percent right. If you've got a piece of machinery that costs hundreds of thousands or sometimes millions of pounds. Can it be, you know, how long can you realistically keep it available for 
training versus you know it needing to be used and i guess a lot of the times these machines the the real experts on them are the people that made them and if they're sending people out to do training and stuff like that it gets very expensive very quickly versus a digital guided environment that you can put a lot more people through brilliant this podcast is brought to you by assemble you the audio learning experts adam here co-founder of assemble you we launched Assemble You in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with outcome-driven learning that had a real impact. The result is a power skills library of more than 130 succinct audio lessons that do the heavy lifting for the listener. Assemble You lessons help coach listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and communication. Each Assemble You audio lesson is around 10 minutes long and backed by research and real-life expertise. Every lesson includes a key point infographic, a further reading list, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how Assemble You can support your organization to build an internal podcast for learning by visiting assembleyou.com. So let's chat, let's dive into technology because you mentioned it a couple of times. So it's really interesting. The packages you're building, they are usable in a virtual reality environment. So with a headset or on a screen, basically at a desktop or in a browser. You know, how are your clients using virtual reality? You know, what tech are they actually using? Is it Oculus? What's the, you know, what's the kind of setup normally? Yeah, so uh, yeah, we've seen a blend currently. So Oculus uh, definitely works. There's some concerns with depending on which corporate it is and how big they are in terms of if they want to go with Meta uh, or not, right? But there are different alternate uh, headsets becoming available like Pico and others, which are sometimes a little bit more friendly with regards to those concerns. But Meta, you know, is has a really good device set. It's MetaQuests that have come out. It's Meta, the MetaQuest Pros, which is both augmented reality and virtual reality elements. So those, you know, start to actually, let, you know, give quite high levels. I'll be quite interested to see when the Apple device is finally available to uh, understand where that fits in, because that's going to be the real benchmarking element across this. But yeah, I mean, we're starting to see the ad adoption, but what we also see is people are sometimes afraid of diving into the VR world, right? And sometimes it's not even comfortable as well for a few people. So we are also seeing the uptake initially in terms of running it on the browser, running it on the PC. So people, you know, just getting the toes into it, right? Getting a feel for what it is and then basically going in there. So again, I think for us, it's less about that everybody has to go through this VR mode and stuff. As long as it's adding value and you know, you're getting the output that you need. We've tried to make sure that it's a plug and play element, right? That when we build a new use case, it's just deployed on the platform. The user accessibility is simple. It's literally, you press a button, you get it into this environment. And I think that's quite a key element of that customer journey. That's really important for us to make these enabling technologies really help solving a problem. Yeah, I've got you and I guess until I don't know if headsets ever will become. Everyone's just got one, like they like you know, like the mobile phone has become. But but I guess until that happens, then it's a trade off of putting things in places that people already have. So everyone's got screens and computers and things. So that's your kind of backup, if you like. Do you actually have your own sets of 
headsets that you take to clients for them to use, or is it normally you just provide the software and then they buy all the hardware? Yeah, so uh, normally we would uh, only provide the software and most of the hardware that's able to use with that uh, are off the shelf. So you can literally buy one from Curry's or uh, anywhere else. If a client wants one, we can provide that as well. But again, I think it, because it's pretty much off the shelf systems, uh, we're not getting restricted. We have within our own a partner ecosystem looking at our own devices, which will be much more cost effective and scalable. But again, it's part of our R&D strategy uh, to look at how can we make it even simpler, even better to deliver, yeah, to to deliver the full package, basically. Yeah. So here's a software, depending on the size of your business, here's a set of headsets. It's one price, away you go type thing. Yeah, yeah, nice way of doing it. So you're very much focused on SMEs at the moment. And I guess, you know, SMEs in manufacturing are still dealing with these, in some cases, giant, expensive machines, aren't they? They're just not producing at the same scale as some of the large companies. What do you think the potential future is for the technology developing? Are you going to continue with the SME route? Is this already being done in big manufacturing and actually the gap is SMEs? I'm just intrigued as to where you think it can, yeah. it can go in the other applications for it. Yeah. So, I mean, our approach uh, of building digital twins and making it accessible as a SaaS model at a rate that SMEs can afford it, firstly, is one of the biggest barriers that we're breaking down, right? Uh, for adoption of technology. Big organizations already, you know, doing some elements of it, but not to the scale. And which is, again, related to the fact that the way it's been utilized, if you have a set of developers, you can develop a use case uh, and deploy it. That doesn't make it scalable, unfortunately, because you have the inherent issues of, you know, you have to go and install on every device, you have to do numerous things. And even then the costs amount up massively. And the way that we've uh, approached it with the SaaS approach, being able to build it as customized to your factory uh, at a very low cost space, but make the technology pretty much, you know, open a device, you press play uh, and it's running and it's deployed across multiple devices as well, means that there's, you know, the growth opportunities we're already seeing across bigger rooms as well. And this is cross sector. What's also key is when we look at this areas about battery manufacturing coming in, right? There is a hydrogen fuel cells out. So there's a lot of new elements coming in where the skill don't exist today. So the, the requirement for training, you know, apprentices getting uh, hired in, all of that. So the opportunity areas are huge just uh, on that currently, right? In terms of having a system which allows to scale and being able to upscale a large scale of workforce in a more flexible way. But also, if you look at the younger workforce coming in, have it in a way that is consumable by them which they're used to because, you know, kids now are used to Fortnite and Roblox and all the other games which are built on the same platforms on which we are building. So we use Unity or Unreal Engines, right, which is the game engine's uh, standards. And so we, we're definitely seeing a, a huge growth opportunities uh, with that. And not just for skill and training, but also for operational use, utilization as well. So again, digital twins of factories uh, being there, digital twins for uh, different aspects. While the other key things that we have enabled uh, and we're doing this as partnerships right now. So we have official uh, MOU with Aston University by partnering up with them to be able to deploy our system for uh, students to start to utilize. And we have, you know, about 90 to 100 different use cases uh, across different sectors of industries, uh, everything going from aerospace to space to automotive manufacturing, construction and other areas. 
And what we you know, know from our own experiences is even if when you're doing engineering and degrees at universities, you'd never know what actually happens in a factory until you go in a factory uh, or when you go in yeah. these workplaces. And we can make that accessible because these generic use cases that we have actually talk you through and wake you through and you know get you to familiarize yourself, which is a very big step change in terms of giving accessibility to students to understand what this might look like and be able to encourage them into these areas of work as well. So we are, you know, it's not a high revenue target area for us, but because when we do generic use cases are great and it's good for students and academic stuff, industry, they want their customized element, right? But because we are building these elements already, it allows that we can offer this as part of our partnerships with different universities to upskill the different works. So it works in a good partnership element for us. So this is where we are headed currently is obviously we are trying to target SMEs today, get them to uh, upskill, have the bigger revenue opportunities and scale opportunities on how we're impacting the industry. But we are also able to you know, give back, let's say, a little bit to society through uh, some of these partnerships where we can get students to experience what these industries are like to help bridge part of the skills gap if we can. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so yeah, engineering students or like people like that, apprentices as well, you mentioned, and the big drive is going to be on like requirement for, I guess, highly technical skilled apprentices over the next 10 years as we develop more technology, more renewable energy, yeah, batteries for cars, all the rest of it. Brilliant. I had another question actually that just popped into my mind that I'd love to know more about the SaaS model because in my head, doing something like heavily customized like this, like, you know, sending a robot into a factory and getting a readout and all the rest of it, that's like big upfront costs to normally in your traditional model. So explain how it works with you guys and how you make that more accessible for yeah. small businesses. So our business is set up uh, as through a joint venture with one of India's largest XR content building companies. And uh, as such of the partnership, you know, we managed to build, we have a very highly skilled trained workforce, which is able to build customized designs at scale very quickly for us. But also our approach is looking at there is an upfront cost, but that upfront cost, what traditionally would be 50 to 100K, we are doing that between 5 to 10K, right? Uh, the, it depends on the complexity of the uh, the use case that we're looking at. But the starting criteria becomes quite, and we're doing that at cost rather than a huge margin of profits element. But what then we do is we are also bridging the gap of doing the managing the entire deployment from our side rather than having requiring companies to have their own servers and then deploy or and that's all. so all of that act as barrier for adoption by building it to our own platform controlling that part you know we are able to keep the costs low but also make it simply accessible so the customers pretty much if they want a customized version of their factory and then these things built on top of that it costs you know one off and a fractional amount what it would normally cost plus uh, you know, they pay us uh, at the starting point of four ninety nine a month with a set number of users that they can utilize. They also get some modification elements built as part of that. Uh, and that approach, you know, we already have our first few SaaS customers in play, which are SMEs. So we've been validating that approach, and it's also a unique approach which nobody yet has taken with a digital twin yet. And that's one of the key things that you know, it's a harder market to penetrate to start off, but. When the approach that we're doing, it showcases that it's, a, you know, once you get in, it's a very scalable approach. So we're doing customized digital twins at scale, 
which normally don't go as one words, but that's what our you know strategy has been. Customize at scale. That's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Normally, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's really good value in terms of the amount of work I would know that's going into that sort of development and stuff. So yeah, amazing that you're able to make that work and, and congratulations. So final question, which is what is your top tip for anyone looking to use digital technology to train workers in a manufacturing environment? And that might obviously be using a, a digital twin or something like that. But what have you learned in terms of on this journey about digital learning and manufacturing? Yeah. So I mean, you know, I've been involved in this kind of technology adoption for industries like manufacturing for some time. And one of the key things is you need to start building up with the right culture within the, the environment, right? You cannot just push it down people that you have to go and train utilizing this. You have to bring your people on the journey with you and actually take their inputs uh, in there as well and build it in a way that it's links in to what they do and also give them the reason why it's important, right? And I think people start to see that, those elements. And then I think from a technical aspect, what we have figured out and seen, it's it's too far not too difficult for us to uh, go and do this customized element. Companies would always have an SOP for the different machines because that's part of the traditional practice that runs and it's part of the requirements uh, for certifications uh, that they have to go through anyway. So, you know, we are already able to utilize what they currently have. But I think uh, if you really want this adoption, you know, being able to utilize this technology for your teams, I think the, the key discussion starts is understand where the key value of opportunities are. You don't want to do it for every part of training and every part of the business. You would identify what the big hitters are for you or the low-hanging fruits. Concentrate on that. Get the people accustomed into that first, and then you can stretch it out. Because once you start to doing that, you know, everybody will have different ideas on what more can happen. Yeah. And I guess, you know, like you say, start with maybe your most expensive or your biggest kind of critical cost base or whatever it is. And that's the if you can scale that and make that a lot more affordable, then then you start that journey and bring people along with it. Fantastic. Cool. And thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed learning more about your digital twins. It sounds kind of like a baddie in a Bond film would have as like a digital twin, but obviously <laughs> that's not what we that's not what we mean here. And uh, it's amazing work. And I would encourage you to check out what Nishan and his team are doing. The website is virtuallearningfactory.com or one word. And in the show notes, we're actually going to put a demo video. So a link to a really cool demo video where you can actually see what one of these virtual learning environments looks like and get a feel for how that might work in your organization as well. And we'll also put links to Nishant's LinkedIn and stuff if you want to get in touch with him. Fantastic. Right. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you everybody for listening to this series. We'll be back, I'm sure, with another series sometime soon. All the best. This podcast is brought to you by AssembleU, the audio learning experts. Adam here, co-founder of AssembleU. We launched AssembleU in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with outcome-driven learning that had a real impact. The result is a power skills library of more than 130 succinct audio lessons 
that do the heavy lifting for the listener. Assemble You Lessons help coach listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and communication. Each Assemble You audio lesson is around 10 minutes long and backed by research and real-life expertise. Every lesson includes a key point infographic, a further reading list, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how Assemble You can support your organization to build an internal podcast for learning by visiting assembleu.com.